you have a Bible with you, you can turn it to Luke 15. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. All of lost things. And the third parable is one that we're going to be looking at or reading just now. And then we're going to be talking about this quality of God. Starting in verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continues. There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he had him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We are continuing a series that we started last week on identity, looking at characteristics or qualities of God that God has revealed about himself in scripture. Last week we talked about creator, that God is the creator. And all through this we're going to be looking at if God is the creator, what does that mean about us? Last week was a quite powerful message where we talked about how if God's the creator, it meant that we were made on purpose, that we're not mistakes, but that we were made by God for God. That we all have that God-shaped hole in our lives that can be filled only 
by Jesus Christ. Today is another message that some of you may have a hard time with. We're going to be talking about God as Father. And maybe even as I say that, some of you cringe just a little bit. I want you to to stick with me, okay? For at least 40 years now, traditional language for God has come under attack, especially the use of God as Father. But I need to say a few things about this before we decide to throw out that language, that masculine language of God as Father. We need to figure out why is it in the Bible in the first place, and is it something that we can throw out, or is there something significant about it? Let me say a few things first, right off the bat. Number one, there's a lot of feminine imagery about God in the Bible. And that's really good. Let me share some with you. This one in particular is is quite powerful. Isaiah 66, 12 and 13. This is God speaking. I will extend peace to her like a river, talking about Israel, and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dangled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Beautiful, beautiful imagery, mainly feminine imagery of God, caring for his people like a mother would care for a young child. These are beautiful, important images And we recognize them in Scripture. But one of the things that we also need to recognize is that although there are feminine imageries in Scripture, God never calls himself mother in the Bible. And yet many times refers of himself as father. Why? That's what we're going to find out. Second thing. Some of you may think, well, Brian, the Bible was written a long time ago. Maybe this is a social construct. Maybe this is just something that, like, you know, the Jewish religion was made of mostly male leaders. The early church was made of mostly male leaders. And so maybe generations ago, when people were writing the Bible, they just put a male gender on God because, frankly, we like to make God into our own image. And that's true, we do. I want God to look like me, to act like me, to be like me. That's not how it should be, but that's how we sometimes act. We want God to be made in our image rather than us being made in his image. And so maybe this is a social construct. It's a reasonable thing to think. One of the reasons why I want to tell you that it's not is because when you look at the cultures around the Israelites in the Old Testament, the cultures that the Israelites were constantly tempted to imitate and to adhere to their idols and their false gods, each and every one of them had female gods or goddesses within their hierarchy of of deity. And that was for a really important reason, because in that culture, in that age, People said, well, women are fertile. Women bear children. Women make things grow. And so all these female goddesses were connected somehow with fertility. Whether it was fertility of animals, 
fertility of the fields, fertility of pregnancy and of, of children. We can see this in Asherah of the Canaanites, or Tiamat of Babylon, or Isis of Egypt. These are the female goddesses that were all around the Israelites. And so there was lots of, of peer pressure of, for the Israelites to have a female god or goddess. And yet for some reason, they recognized that God had revealed himself as father, and so anything else would be idolatry. But let me say one more thing. One more thing, just to to kind of clear the air. God does not have male genitalia. It's okay to snicker at that. God does not have male genitalia. Some of us have an image of, in our minds of God sitting on a cloud in the sky with a gray beard. We have that, that image of God kind of leaning over, trying to touch Adam. This is not God. This is a construct of our imagination. This is us making God into our image. God is neither male nor female. God does not have sexual reproductive organs. God does not have a sex. So why does God reveal himself to us as father? The last thing before we actually get into this, the last real opposition for many people, and, and it may be for you, is that some of us have a real, real trouble with the idea of God as father, not because of the social constructs, not because of any of those things, but because of our own personal experiences. Some of us have had poor, abusive, or non-existent relationships with our earthly father. And if that's you today, please know that I'm not minimizing the pain or trauma that you feel by having a poor father figure in your life. I am truly sorry for that. However, I do want to say that When we look at God as Father, it is not that God is made in the image of our earthly father. It's not that God is like your earthly father. He's not at all. Instead, we who are fathers here on earth are to look to God as our heavenly father as what we should be like as how we should act towards our wife and towards our children. And let me tell you, I fail at that every single day. But that's the bar of fatherhood. God is the bar of fatherhood. I'm not the bar of fatherhood, and God needs to come and be like me. God is the ultimate heavenly father. And anything that I do as a father to my children, I want to reflect God in that, not the other way around. And so if you've had a poor or abusive or non-existent father in your life, know that today I want to invite you to see God as the good father, as the heavenly father, the father that doesn't leave you, who doesn't abuse you, the Father who treats you with respect and love. 
See, God is patient. And His discipline, He disciplines with a soft hand. He's loving and kind. He's compassionate and powerful. If we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. Because He shows us the heart of God. And what does Jesus say about God as Father? We just read in Luke 15. So why, why do we even keep this language? I mean, like, because I recognize it's a stumbling block for some people. There are lots of people that I talk to who say, I can see God as Lord, I can see God as Creator, but Father, that's hard. I hear that, I hear that. But why is it important to not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Why is it important to not just get rid of this image of God because of our earthly struggles with it. Well, here's why. Jesus referred to God as Father. Jesus refers to God as Father. Look at it for a few minutes. John 16, 28. Jesus speaking here. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. John 6, 44, no one can come to me, Jesus again speaking, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Matthew 26, 39. And Jesus went a little beyond them and fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus refers to God as Father. There is a Trinitarian relationship here. It's a special relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. One person has said it this way. When we think of the term Trinity, it's kind of just a shorthand way of saying the Christian story of God the Father who sent His Son Jesus Christ and gives us His Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God the Father. Jesus sees that as His relationship. Father and Son. And it's a special, significant, and unique relationship here. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But King James says it a little bit differently, probably a little bit better in this case. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In other words, a begotten being come out of, our idea would be birthed out of. It's not completely true of God, but begotten being this idea that God the Father and God the Son are are of the same essence. We were talking about adoption in the prayer time. If you think of it this way, God the Father, God the Son, they're biologically connected. Again, not exactly, but good enough for the analogy. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. In other words, Jesus' relationship with the Father 
is that the Son comes out of the Father. We're not going to go too deep into Trinitarian theology here uh, for two reasons. Firstly, because, frankly, I don't have time to. You'd be here for, like, hours, and we still would get confused. And number two, I don't want your brain to hurt. But if you do want to talk to me about Trinitarian theology afterwards, please come on up to me. The important thing here is that the Father-Son relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son is a -a one-of-a-kind relationship. There are no other children in that relationship. And so Jesus calls God Father. And that's significant. I could have probably skipped all of that and just said, Jesus calls God Father. What Jesus says is good enough for me. I'm guessing it's probably good enough for you. So that's why we call God Father. But those of you who needed the more in-depth stuff, that's why. So what about us? Why do we call God Father? I mean, if there was this unique relationship between Jesus and God the Father, why do we use that term? Because we are adopted by God through Christ Jesus. We are adopted by God through Christ Jesus. This is an incredibly significant idea here. When you surrender your life to God, when you recognize that the way that you've been living your life is just going to create hurt, hurting yourself or hurting others, and you hear, maybe for that first time, maybe for that hundredth time, that God loves you, that he died for you, that he offers you forgiveness, a blank slate, that he wants you to come home to him, that he's waiting for you to start taking that step home, that he'll meet you all the way. And you accept that. And you invite him into your life. One of the significant things is that you are adopted as his child. You are adopted into the family of God. You become a brother to Jesus, a co-heir. And probably that like should blow your mind or you might be thinking, Brian, are you making this up? Because it sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Like the king of the kingdom comes down to the commoners and adopts the peasant children. Adopts the orphans. And they get to be in the kingdom, in the castle, and grow up with the king as their daddy. It makes a good fairy tale, doesn't it? But it makes an even better reality. Imagine yourself as an orphan, imagine yourself as someone who needed protection, needed comfort, needed care. That's what we were before Jesus. God sends Jesus down to come to us, to adopt us, to bring us back to the castle. And then we get to grow up as princes and princesses of the King of Kings. Galatians 4, 4 4-7 says this, But when the set time had fully come, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. You could say daughtership. Because you are his sons, you are his daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, you're no longer a peasant, you're no longer an orphan, but rather God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Romans 8, 15 and 16 says this, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Just a little side note here. This term Abba. It's a hard term to translate. It is the term of such a close, intimate relationship between father and child. It is an innocent, unknowing of all the dangers of the world. It is a perfect, beautiful word. Maybe one of the best ways to translate it into English would be daddy or papa. Just this heartfelt love and closeness between a father and his child. I don't know how many of you are are royalty fans. I'm not. I don't follow the royal family very much, but some of you are. And uh, a few years ago, little Prince George was born. And he was running around in diapers at Buckingham Palace. And if I was to go to Buckingham Palace and I was to meet the Queen, there would be a lot of regiment and, and, and red tape and protocol that I would need to do in order to get into the presence of the queen. You know, things like, like you don't turn your back on the queen. You don't touch the queen unless she touches you first. All these kind of things that, that, that are just there as boundaries and barriers between the commoner and the royalty. And then you have little Prince George. And can you just see him having to learn all that protocol and all that, all those boundaries? I don't think he'd, he'd follow any one of them. He'd run into the room and he'd jump on Queen Elizabeth's knee and he'd want to play tag with her and he'd want to tell her about his day. And do you think that the queen, with all of her pomp and all of her circumstance, would say, now, George, that's not the proper way to come into my presence. Come back when you're older and you know how to do it. I didn't think so either. Of course not. Of course not. There's a difference there. He's family. And his relationship with the queen is something very different then you are my relationship with the queen. In the same way, in Jesus, we can be adopted into God's family. 
the God of the universe, the King of all kings, we can be adopted through Jesus. We're not the same as Jesus. We are adopted children. But we now have the same status before God as his son Jesus Christ does. And we can come into his presence in Jesus' name and talk to him like he was sitting right there. We can share our joys of the day. We can share our burdens. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And let me tell you something. This was not plan B. This was not a haphazard look at what humanity has done. God always wanted us to be his children. He always had us in mind. Ephesians 1, 4-6. For God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. From the very beginning, you were chosen to be a child of God. You were chosen by God to be his child. I'm not sure how adoptions all work in different places in the world but I did hear that in some places in the world maybe Canada as well but if you are adopting a child who is of a certain age who can understand what's happening the parent gets to say this is the child that I want to adopt before the courts the mom and dad get to say we want this child in our family But then the judge will turn to the child and the judge will say, which family do you want to be in? Who do you want to take you home today? Who do you want to be your mom and dad? And the child gets to choose and say, I want them. I want them to love me. I want them to take me home. I want them to be my mom and my dad. The same is true with God. He has predestined us. He has had a plan to adopt us into his family from day one. And he has said in the courts of heaven, I want them. I want him. I want her to be my son, to be my daughter. And all he's waiting for is for you to say, and I want him to be my dad. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Two things for you to take home. Number one, if you are here today or if you're listening online, and this has just been a hard message for you because you have a bad relationship or you have bad blood or unforgiveness between you and your earthly father. He might not even be alive anymore. First thing I want to invite you to do is to forgive him. Ask God to help you forgive him.
God loved us so much that he chose to be the first person to bring back that reconciliation between us and him. And now he invites us to be ministers of reconciliation, to, to bring people back together. So I want to invite you, if you've got a bad relationship with your dad, you've got to work on that. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you've got to work on it and ask God to help you. Ask God to help you. Number two, I want to just invite you, if you've never done it before, to say, God, I want you to be my dad. I want you to be my heavenly father. Even if you have a great relationship with your earthly father, that's okay. My kids have two fathers, me, their earthly father, and more importantly, God, their heavenly father. And sure, I feel some competition sometimes. But I am so glad that they know that their heavenly father is so much better than their earthly father. And so I want to invite you to call out to God. Just say, God, I choose you as my heavenly father. And then to start seeing yourself as a child of the king of kings. As a child of the one who loved you more than you could ever know. And to just rest and embrace being a prince or a princess of the King of Kings. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you sent Jesus to bring us back to you. To adopt us into your kingdom into your family. We don't take that lightly, Lord. We pray that you would help us to see ourselves as your children, to see you as our Heavenly Father. Father, I pray that if there is reconciliation that needs to happen, if there are things that we need to forgive in our human relationships, that you would just help us to do that. That might sound like a mountain to climb right now. That might sound almost impossible. We don't minimize the hurt that we feel. We don't minimize the pain that's been caused. But in your name and for your sake, help us to forgive. Thank you, Lord. We accept you as our Father. Help us to see ourselves as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.